Hello and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. My name is George Brown and I'm the editor at Guns on Pegs. I am, as usual, joined by Chris Horn, CEO of ITAP Group. We're back. It has been a little while, so we want to thank you for your patience. Um, but we promise it it will have been worth the wait because we've got big plans, haven't we, Chris? Uh, yeah, we do. <laughs> Plan, planning's never really been our forte, but we've done a bit of planning again, haven't we, George? <laughs> we have. Let's see how, I mean, what is it they say about plans? Anyway, um, so I think before we go into a bit more detail, we'll probably just give a little background as to where we've got to and what we're aiming to achieve and how we plan to get there. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so as lots of you listening will be aware, we released our 50 Not Out episode a little while ago. Um, it was a really, really fun evening. Um, and mine, Chris, I don't know if you know this, I finished up drinking whiskey directly from the bottle on the train on the way home. So I think that's a fair indicator of how the evening went. That's a posh um, look, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was strong. Um, I think it's fair to say, Chris, that no one is more surprised that we made it to 50 episodes. I don't think we really expected to make it to five. No, it. yeah, it's been good fun. It's a lovely addition looking back. Uh, you know, to, to all, the, all that time ago. Uh, and I'm really pleased that you've grabbed the ball by the horns now. And you're going to talk about that in a second. Because, um, yeah, I think we've we've been chaotic. We've admitted that to that a few times. But uh, I think a little bit more structure, a bit of better planning uh, definitely involves some changes required. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So after that episode, you know, I was reflecting on it once I'd recovered from the hangover. And um, I was looking into some of the statistics around the podcast, and we've never really paid that much attention to them up until then. But I was curious. Podcast statistics can be a little bit foxy, they're not necessarily all that reliable. But some of the numbers that I was coming across genuinely sort of blew my mind. And I, there was one I just couldn't fit into my head and I was convinced I must have got it wrong really so I immediately called Chris who's much better with figures than I am and asked him to sort of look at the numbers with me well that that was pretty interesting because yeah as you say like we thought we had an idea and it turns out the actual figure was like three times that <laughs> so I don't know if it, basically like 10,000 downloads a month of this podcast uh when we just thought we were talking to a few of our mates. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So and and so I was like, then how 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 big is that number? Like, is ten thousand a lot? Don't really know. So I then tried to look for some sort of benchmarking numbers, and it basically, and uh, this is what I really can't get my head around. Still, I think is that figure means that we're basically in the top five or ten percent of all podcasts in the UK. Silly stuff. <laughs> which is i mean amazing so thank you to everyone who's been listening yeah i think it, that's important because it, it made us realize we're not really giving the podcast the sort of respect it deserves and that comes back to my planning point um you know we 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 think we think sort of one episode ahead about who our next guest would be and if we're honest we just thought of it as a bit of fun and a bit of a joke really and to be fair we're not actually going to move that far from that point i think that's still the ethos of what we're trying to do here but we just want to bring a bit more stu uh, structure to it uh and uh and give you a little bit more of um some interesting insight into the into the shooting world and all the sort of things that you guys like to hear so on that point as well always please get in touch some of the best ideas for this pod the most fun we've had out of it has come from our listeners Oh, yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, so basically what we've done is given ourselves a bit of a talking to and we've set ourselves a target, which is by this time next year to have doubled our monthly downloads. Um, 
you'll know that we don't do things by halves around here. So um, it's a big target, but I reckon we can do it. But to do that, we do need to make a few changes about how we go about things. You, you've, te- you've teed yourself up here because <laughs> what you said to me was, right, let's do away with this series thing, which basically came by accident after the first 10 episodes. where we just sort of like, we're like, oh, a pause. That's great. We can do a bit more planning. And you've said, we'll record them consistently and we'll drop them fortnightly always on the same day are you going as far as saying that (laughs) well I'm saying that I'm not I mean I'm hoping that I can stick to it and um that you know that's going to need some some proper planning um and you know you never know what might turn up and and destroy that plan um but I'm hoping that we can do it on a Tuesday every single time oh I mean that's that's a big that's big George I know (laughs) So that, that that's that's the promise, and it, I've said it on air now. So I think it's got to happen. Um, but we are both very busy people. Our guests are all very busy people. So scheduling this is going to be a challenge. Um, and there are going to be times when either you or I isn't around on holiday or we're ill or whatever. But we still need to get a, a, an episode recorded. So one of the biggest well, changes I- is gone. I was going to say, are you going to talk about ads? Oh, well, yes. So, I mean... Because, right, I mean, I think I, I think that's one of the biggest changes because it's obviously justifying all of George's immense amount of incredibly valuable time. Uh, having a few ads in here is a weird change. Now, I think you can all appreciate that just a little bit of financial contribution from our really good friends in the shooting world, all the brands that we know and love, is really helpful. So please, whenever you hear an ad, just appreciate that that pays for George's time to sit there late at night drinking whiskey out the bottle, editing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, honestly, it really helps because otherwise, it, it, you know, it's, it's quite it's quite difficult uh, to keep the whole thing going. So that's the way to look at ads; they are our friends. Yes, I think that's very true. And we're not going to be trying to sell you razors. I think that's the the other thing about um, the ads. Um, but the other thing, in order to be able to stick to this two week timetable. Um, and to cope with, uh, you know, the absence of either Chris or I, um, we're going to need somebody who can step up as a sort of substitute if either of us are unavailable and maybe um, uh, make the odd appearance, um, you know, throughout time if we're struggling to get a guest for a particular time or something along those lines. So that brings us to, I mean, he's sort of a guest. No, he's definitely a guest, but not not any longer. Uh, after today, he won't be a guest. So today, uh, I'm introducing our colleague, uh, Digby Taylor. Diggers to everyone, I think. Uh, he can confirm. Uh, so Diggers obviously been on the pod a couple of times as a, a bit of appearance, but also hosts the Shoot Hub podcast, which many of you would have heard. Uh, so Diggers is going to be joining us, helping us out with with George's ridiculous claim of uh, every two weeks on a Tuesday. Um, Diggers is his title... Uh, and there's also a bit of a change here, is Managing Director of Guns on Pegs. That's because he's the only one that really knows exactly what's going on. So that's the very appropriate title <laughs> for him. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, a huge warm welcome to a really important colleague of ours, Diggers. Thank you very much, both of you for having me on. There are so many things I had to bite my tongue as I was listening to you two talk away about committing to do once every fortnight. I think, <laughs> I think, <laughs> think good luck. And I very much look forward to seeing that happen. Um, what, yeah, what are no, you really? What are you really thinking? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, good luck. 
Um, <laughs> the other thing was I didn't realize the the Shoot Hub podcast where George and I have been um, co-hosting recently. I didn't realize that was an interview for the for the Guns on Pegs podcast. <laughs> I mean, that's I basically what it is. Yeah, that's why we, that's why we're doing it. No, thank you guys for having me on. Very nice to be here. So uh, our plan for this episode um, is kind of no different in structure to to, to what um, it seems you guys are enjoying. So uh, listener correspondence, our favourite part. Uh, and then we're going to talk about some of the big topics. Obviously, we've had a bit of a break. Um, we, we're, we're, we're gearing up for a new season. I think it's important to cover some of the stuff that's been going on. It's pretty interesting out there. Uh, and um, and obviously really important to get Diggers' insight on that. Uh, so we'll have a bit of discussion after that. So that's the plan. Yeah. Diggers, do you think it's fair to say that you are as connected into the shooting world as anybody? Oh, I don't know about that, George. I think I think one of the benefits I've got is I can speak to a huge range of different types of people. To give an example, today, speaking to one of the biggest game farms, um, speaking to a sporting agent speaking to uh, a vet um, and then over the last couple of weeks speaking to feed merchants, all those sorts of things. So although I don't, I, I feel like I speak to enough people to know what other people are thinking, um, a bit of a, you know, feeding back into one another about, um, you know, this such and such is going on in this little sector. Um, this is going on in a different sector and putting the two together and trying to make sense of it. Um very privileged to to be able to speak to a huge huge number of people who, who know a huge amount more about shooting than I do and sort of glean bits of information and and um, pass it on as and when that might be useful. Um, I think that's that's probably fair to say. Well, it certainly puts you in a position of knowing exactly what's going on. That's for sure. <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Right, George, your favourite bar. Yeah. Um, who am I going to ask first? I'll ask Diggers. Diggers, what's that you're drinking? Ah. Oh. Well, say so you're finishing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> for my first ever foray onto the Guns on Pegs podcast was the first ever, ever episode. And I was drinking um, my homemade cider. And I thought for the for my next reappearance, I've got to up it a step. So rather than, um, well, it's got a base of cider, but it's quite a lot stronger and uh, made, in a, made in a copper pot. And I think that's about enough said. George has tasted it. Um, I think you described it as fire water, didn't you? Uh, it's pretty. This is your homemade. Uh, do you call it Calvados? I think you should be ca- careful what you say, George. But <laughs> homemade something, yeah, quite a lot yes. stronger than cider. Has been described as fire water. Um, but um, yeah, that sounds a lot a like that. that. Sounds a lot like Calvados. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds like Calvados. Does not taste like Calvados. <laughs> <laughs> So it's got the fire water element, but a lack of taste. <laughs> it's mellowed. I think it was a year since I gave you a glass, George, and it's definitely mellowed a bit. So what are you actually calling this, Diggers? You've got to give it a name. Oh, I don't know. I haven't got that far. Um, my cider, which I used to sell at university, was called St. Veep Cider, because um, that was the the parish my family live in in Cornwall. Um, so St. Veep Calvados, although some people have pointed out that um, Digby's quite an unusual name, so maybe Digby's apple brandy or something like that would be suitable somewhere between the two haven't quite worked out yet that would be very modern that that would be the sort of thing you'd see in a supermarket wouldn't what it? digby's apple brandy yeah exactly yeah. that's yeah. very very 2023 <laughs> supermarket yeah. chris what have you got um so similar theme to diggers actually so when uh i grew up in suffolk as a few people might know from pre- might know from previous episodes um and uh cider was always my favorite drink in in sort of early drinking years 
And Suffolk's biggest cider producer is the wonderful company Aspel. Uh, and when my parents were in the food world, uh, back making mustards and mayonnaise and salad dressings, they used to use Aspel cider vinegar. So the chap who owned Aspel's and my dad used to shoot to, shoot a bit together. And it meant that on every time that they would shoot, we'd end up with a house full of Aspel's because it He'd always bring a case or two around. It's a pretty expensive way of sourcing Aspel's, but um, <laughs> doing shooting invites. <laughs> but the Aspel's Premier Crew, which is nothing like the stuff you get on tap in a pub, is by far and away their best cider. Cider with a Y, by the way. That's how they spell it. Um, I'd highly encourage it. The only problem is it's 6.8%. It used to be 75 but they've dumbed it down. Uh, and it's really lovely. So anyway, that was the drink that, uh, we always had at home and I can't believe I've never had one on the pod so today's the day I'm so pleased Chris that that uh, Aspel's cider with a Y is the closest I've ever found to my homemade really? it's none of this none of this sweet sickly nonsense it's proper proper cider really yeah. enjoy it love the shape of the bottle as well yeah like a wine bottle yeah. uh, sort of yeah um actually like an Alsace wine bottle um it, it the premier crew is the one though that's the thing because all most of the others are sweet but I know exactly what you mean um so yeah if you, mm. you know what I'm talking about you'll you'll be agreeing with me and if not you'll be going to try it hopefully uh George what are you on well I feel a bit bad now because I've just got a uh a supermarket lager supermarket lager yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said you feel bad. No, this, <laughs> you've always had a go at me for it. And this is brilliant. Go. <laughs> well, so I have got a very nice bottle of whiskey at home, but for various complicated logistical reasons, we're recording a little bit earlier in the day. And one of those, a uh, little bit earlier than we normally do. And one of those logistical reasons is that after we finished recording this, I'm actually guesting on another podcast on a topic that I'm not really that hot on. So I kind of feel like I need to have my wits about me. And I think if I drank called for a bottle of whiskey, it might go badly. <laughs> or, or you might become an instant expert. What's well, the um, yeah. what's the topic? Can we help you? Well, it's on Tweed. It's an American podcast. And I'm going to be talking about Tweed. And, you know, I like Tweed. Um, you know, I'm a fan, <laughs> but I'm by no means an expert. So um, I'm gonna have, I've been doing my research and I hope I'm not going to embarrass myself by saying something that's factually incorrect. How long is this podcast? I can't I can't really imagine a conversation on Tweed lasting more than about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know me, Digby. I can make any conversation last any length of time. <laughs> Maybe you needed the whiskey after all. Well, I'd, I'll probably have one afterwards just to settle my nerves a bit. But um, yeah, so I'm on Australia. Um, which is very nice bog standard supermarket lager as far as they go. <laughs> and I won't hear a word against it. I can't wait to hear you talking for an hour about Tweed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't I don't think it's an hour long podcast. I think it's maybe half an hour. Oh, um, what a relief. So was so, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been just been very rude about someone's podcast. I'm sure it'd be uh, be wonderful. Well, what you're really hoping is it isn't just about tweed. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, th I think there'll be a lot about you know etiquette and tradition and all that jazz. Um, you're, I reckon you're going to find that they know a lot more about tweed than anyone over in the UK. Yeah, well, that's very possible. Very possible. He certainly knows more about guns than anybody I've come across. Um, so yeah, it'll be very interesting. <laughs> oh, good. Enjoy. Do they do what's that you're drinking, or can you introduce know. what's that you're drinking to their pod? Oh, maybe. Yeah. What about what's that you've been drinking? Yeah. <laughs> but hold on if it's for, if it, if you're doing that at like 4 p.m it's pretty early their time 
you should message them just quick just send them a heads up saying you've never done a podcast without a drink so i don't want yeah. to, to change <laughs> <laughs> yes good idea right I think we better move on, otherwise we're going to be here for ages. <laughs> so our first regular section, as or second regular section, I should say, as everybody knows, is called Whose Bird Is It Anyway? And it's where we ask our listeners to send in their shooting quandaries and queries and dilemmas and all that sort of thing. Uh, and we do our level best to help them out. Uh, this episode's submission comes from somebody I shall call Angus. And Angus has written, Hi, George and Chris. My Whose Bird Is It Anyway? quandary is this. I'm a keen beater who loves the job of channeling the birds as best we can towards the guns. I'm one of the younger, fitter members of the beating team, so I'd often be flanking a wood in, which would mean me strolling through some lovely countryside on my own to then meet up with the lion and continue onwards. Although we get paid for our efforts, I'd happily do it for free and even take the day off work if it was midweek, but as a keen shooter myself, I do very much look forward to the beater's day, which brings me on to my quandary. At this year's beater's day, we beaters were very much looking forward to having a go ourselves, and we readied our kit and set off. On arrival at my first peg of the day, I met the keeper, who mentioned that one of the syndicate members, Midas, that's a made-up name by the way, uh, <laughs> would be shooting today. Now I should explain that this syndicate member has been known for nicking birds from neighbours, having very shallow pockets, wriggling out of fines, and is that tight that when he wakes up in the morning he checks under his bed to see if he lost any sleep in the night. <laughs> So I'll be honest in saying that when I heard that he was shooting, I remember calling him every name under the sun and telling him to foxtrot Oscar back to the beating line and leave the day for the beaters. All in my head, of course. Now, are these thoughts of mine unnecessary and uncalled for, or is there some merit in it? I'd like to quickly mention as well that all the other syndicate members could have shot, but said no and to leave the day to the beaters. I very much hope to hear your opinions on this matter. Ooh. Didn't expect it to turn out like that. No. Slight <laughs> twist at the end. Yeah. Yeah. That key bit of information about everyone else having the chance. Well, I was. you called him Midas, so I was expecting him to have the Midas touch and all of a sudden be like cleaning up after everyone. Obviously, that's where you were going with his name, I assume. And Midas was famously greedy, wasn't he? Okay, so... Uh, Does it make it better or worse, the fact that the other syndicate member said no? I almost think it almost makes it worse, doesn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, fact that sure. he's still standing there on his Todd, essentially, uh, as a, as as a member of the syndicate, yeah, that's pretty awkward for him. I don't know why the syndicate members would have been invited in the first place. To be honest with you, well, to I, beat. Uh, oh, to beat? Not are you sure not to shoot? Well, I reckon they all turned up to beat, and then the keeper came along and said, "We've got one peg going spare if anybody wants it." Ah. And everybody else went, "No, no, 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 we couldn't possibly." And this other chap stuck his hand up and said, "I'll do it." Um, which I, I can uh, kind honestly, of sympathise with. Yeah, but that's really <laughs> that's really awkward. I think, I think the point I've, shot every, in... I've shot every beater's day here on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, hold on. We've got a Midas <laughs> in the ranks. George is a Midas, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I was wondering... <laughs> <So> then... <laughs> I was wondering, if it had been a more popular syndicate member who was shooting, would there have been the same discomfort about it? Or would our correspondent have been more content to let the syndicate member have a peg if they were if it was one of the less long-barreled ones yeah interesting it also depends how and where the syndicate member is going to stand and how he's going to shoot and what he's going to shoot at i mean if you're if you're going to stand as a back gun or a um, carry a gun in the beat it's very different from standing as a jawn peg 
um, and uh, and shooting at everything. Seeing as this is about opinions and you want our opinion on this, I just I don't get this. I just can't see why a syndicate member would be shooting on the Beatus Day. In a syndicate, the Beatus Day, the Beatus shoot, syndicate guns, beat. Simple. I really think any variation from that and we've gone wrong. No? I just wonder if the keeper felt that they were a bit short on guns and that birds were just going to go either side of the line, you know? Oh, he was worried about his feed bill. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're lacking information if that's the case. But uh, I, I think in principle, assuming that the beaters could shoot properly uh, and that this was the beaters day, I don't think he should have been there. It's com- it, it, it does bring up some questions, though, because we don't have a beaters day on my father's farm shoot because we only shoot three days and we only shoot 10 birds a day. <laughs> and... <laughs> we and we don't we net the, the the beaters are the you know um younger members of the family or wives and girlfriends and people who don't shoot kind of thing so should we have a beaters day with a chance of shooting one bird or um and i guess george you're somewhere between us and a sort of proper shoot with beaters days and that most of your beaters are, are sort of friends and family and you don't have enough people in the beating line who would want to shoot to make a proper beaters day. Is that fair? Yeah, I think certainly whenever I've stood on a beaters day, it's when my brother has said to me, actually, I need you to be in the line because we've only got five guns or something. And if we don't have six, then we're just not going to get the birds over. They'll just spot the gaps and go for them. Um, I tend to inc- agree with Chris, though, that if it's a proper beaters day and there's a full team of beaters and there's no particular reason to need the extra gun, I don't quite understand why, uh, why this extra gun is in the line um and i also think that i i think if i was on you know if i was in a syndicate and on the beaters day i would be doing everything i could to try not to be shooting and um and and i think that that's the thing that you you owe the beaters at least the the opportunity to have a crack at the end of the season well that's it you're saying thanks to them for their efforts throughout the season so in diggers's example on three days you're not saying thanks for a huge amount because they've only been beating on three days uh so i think that if the shoot is a bit bigger doing some more days you're then sort of building that up and saying thank you and on obviously on a really big shoot i assume that you're saying thank you to the most loyal of the beaters because you can't have them all uh so i imagine that's how it works out but yeah. I think I think we're all strongly in agreement that if you have a proper beaters day on a proper shoot, the syndicate gun should not be shooting. Yeah. So this chap did all, said all the right things in his head. So the question mm. is, was he right to say it all in his head or should he have said it out loud? I think it, <laughs> it would have been fun if he'd said it out loud, wouldn't it? <laughs> would have made for better correspondence. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we're all in agreement then, are we? Yeah, but I think this definitely calls for a bit of correspondence. We want to know what others think on this as well. Because I think there's a bit of an almost a, a lack of knowledge on what the done thing is here. Uh, so let's let's see what others hear. Yeah, maybe the syndicate member Midas is is listening. He can if, make if he his knows excuses. He's Midas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he can give his side of the story. <laughs> if you are a Midas and have been in Midas's position in the last few months, <laughs> get in touch. Pod at gunsonpegs.com. Thank you. <laughs> right. So Chris, you got an unpopular opinion for us? This one comes from someone that George shall call Bartleby, uh, who writes, my unpopular opinion is if the shooting industry keeps on promoting that the main reason for getting out shooting is because it's good fun, 
the great banter and having a laugh with mates. I worry we are going to perpetuate the negative impressions on the shooting world that some people have. If someone asks me why I shoot, I generally say it's a great way to get local free range protein. The good fun, the banter and having a laugh with mates is just a byproduct of that process. If we do not focus on the act of harvesting animals from the countryside as the primary reason for shooting, we open ourselves up to a lot of criticism that we are killing for the fun of it, being bloodthirsty and not caring for UK wildlife. It's quite a change of gear, that, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, we're getting deep and meaningful, diggers. Oh, don't ask me. Don't go to me first. Um, Diggers, what do you think? (laughs) I really like the intention. I really like the intention. I think you're spot on. Um, What do others think? Is there a buck? Is there a buck coming? The first thing that comes through to my head is about the size of the day, surely. If you're shooting and all all of the game is being eaten by the guns and the beaters and the pickers up on the day, then 100% I couldn't agree more. Yeah, where where does it where do th- where do we land on this? If you're shooting a bigger day and you're producing protein for the food chain that's not your own existing food, you know, not your personal food chain, that would be the only question I have. I think I don't think this is an unpopular opinion, but I think what hit this Bartleby's opinion here is just one of the many aspects of justifying mm. going out shooting. And I don't think it is the aspect that we need to focus on. I think it's one of them. Um, because <clears throat> you're absolutely right, Diggers. If it's on a bigger day, this can't be the reason. It doesn't you become, make sense. Yeah, you become a little bit unstuck, don't you? So his point is justifying, oh, I go shooting because it's fun. I don't think it's actually that wrong to say that at all. Well, I, if you think about it, there are significantly easier ways of acquiring protein, um, exactly. even even free-range local protein, you know, if you yeah. really wanted a pheasant, you know, shooting one at 40 yards with a shotgun is probably the least efficient way of trying to do it. Um, and so uh, then you come run into the, well, if people aren't, you, you run into the economic argument about, you know, bringing jobs into the area and um, spreading the wealth around and that kind of thing. And you, uh, if, if people aren't enjoying it, if we're not having fun, then I'm not entirely sure why anybody's doing it so i think you know to pretend that we're not having fun is a bit disingenuous yeah but I he, he's got such a good point though that if all we're saying is we do it because we're having fun then that's equally as big a problem because you, you we've got you can't just to the outside world talk about how fun it is to shoot game without talking about the other aspects of why we do it and why it's an, an all-round good thing george touched on the economic the environmental the social, you know, all of all of the aspects. Exactly. But they allow us to have that fun. If mm. they weren't there, you couldn't justify it at all. So food, economics, and I reckon actually bigger than all of them, conservation. I think if those arguments weren't there, then absolutely to say I go out and do this because I enjoy it is simply not okay. Because well, what's your justification? Like, you know, just, just simply doing it for none of those reasons so i think that it is a mixture of those arguments and it does depend on the type of shoot but to say that i go shooting because it's fun i think is okay god this is complicated it has to be okay because that's why we do it it has to be okay to enjoy it you have to be allowed to enjoy it but i think you do have to have as you mentioned chris an appreciation of all the other benefits and part of the reason it's fun is because you know how much of the actual day are you actually spending pulling the trigger 
you know, the rest of the time you are having a laugh with your friends, you are enjoying the the, the countryside, you're enjoying the biodiversity of the and the beautiful landscapes and all that sort of thing. Uh, and that is as much a part of the enjoyment of the day as the pulling the trigger or the jokes in the gum bus or the big lunch or any of it. You know, it's all part of the 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 complex web of things that make it a nice time. So so coincidentally, I wrote an article which you can find on Scribound um the other day, which is really similar to this. And I, it, it comes from this sort of point of, you know, when you meet someone at like a dinner party who doesn't shoot, has no understanding of shooting and asks you what you do, uh, and you sort of have to explain to them. Um, I find that I'm incredibly proud of what shooting does for the three things you mentioned, you know, social, economic, environmental. So removing these shoots would be a really, really bad news for a bunch of reasons. And it's not just one of them, like Bartleby's saying here. It, it's a bunch of reasons. Mm. So therefore, the fact that I can enjoy this output of this really good thing is fine. And I just have to make sure that they understand that it is a really good thing and these are the reasons why. So that, for me, is like how I go about that argument, which I think is what he's getting at here. Yeah. How do you, how do you approach the uh, getting stuck next to a vegan who hates you at a dinner party, Diggers? I had one of these situations when I very newly started working for Guns on Pegs. And I mentioned what I did and the vegan turned around, ignored me for the rest of the, the, the <laughs> dinner. <laughs> and I've come across her in social situations since and she's barely looked at me. And when she has, it's been a strong glare. Um, so I'm not the best person to ask. Now I say I work in the countryside um, sports sector um, and I talk about fishing and you know those sorts of things. And then it, depending on how they react to fishing and those sorts of things, I'll then... Uh, I'll then drop in the the shooting and stalking and that sort of thing if if they react well to fishing. (laughs) The irony being that if you're eating that fish, it's no different, is it? Let's be honest. No, 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 I know. But for some reason, it's it's the good, um, it's the gateway to talking about what I actually do. And um, if they say, oh, that's interesting, then you can say, and actually, you know, shooting and stalking, those sorts of things. And if they say, oh, I'm not sure about that, then you um, you turn around and ignore them rather than be ignored by them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, what what are we saying? Is this is this an unpopular opinion, or are we saying that we think it's actually quite a good one? I I think it's good. I just, I, um, I don't know how popular it is amongst all of the arguments. I think, as I said, it's one of many. I'm not sure it's the biggest, but I think it's definitely a great place to be. Diggers. Yeah. I don't think it's unpopular. I think he's onto something, but maybe not fully there. Complete. Maybe not got the whole picture. Probably. But um, yeah. certainly a really good opinion to have, I think. Yeah, agreed. Right, so Digby, this is a baptism of fire for you. Um, your Our final piece of correspondence for this episode is, uh, it is your honour to read it out. Thank you, George. This one comes from an existing member of the Order of the Garters, who George has christened Fidel. Fidel wrote, Congratulations on reaching 50 Not Out. I very much enjoyed listening to your milestone episode. You asked for features, ideas at the end of the episode. My idea is lost or forgotten drives. You'll be pleased to hear that the pod itself inspired me to think about this. On the drive to work, listening to the Desert Island shooting feature, I began to think through what my day to end all days would look like. Through my long-standing shooting friends and membership of half a dozen syndicate at different times in the last 25 years, I have been lucky enough to shoot all over the country and have done everything from walked up days with barely a double figure bag to 400 bird days in mid-Wales. Therefore, my 
Desert Island Shooting Day would be a collection of the 10 best drives that I have ever shot. With real diversity of friends, geography, topography, quarry, catering, banter, etc, etc. With, of course, the guns on pegs helicopter and time machine ferrying me speedily between each. (laughs) I then realised that a number of my top 10 drives no longer exist. Through a combination of change of land ownership, change of farm business practice, keeper retirement, solar farm development, regulatory pressure, including SSSI designation, shoot mergers and so on, many of the drives that I have the fondest memories of are now not shot at all or have changed irrevocably. I can't believe I'm on my own against amongst the listeners in having experienced this. So my idea is that you ask listeners to share their favourite recollections of these lost or forgotten drives and crucially, what made them so memorable. With very best wishes, Fidel. Just quickly, George, is that Fidel Edwards, the West Indian cricketer, or Fidel Castro, the uh, the other one? Not the West Indian cricketer. I, I can't remember why I chose Fidel now. I, sometimes it's just random. I can't believe um, that. I probably random. was thinking of Castro, though. Oh, no, in fact, I do know. I do know because he doesn't, this is the person who didn't like uh, cartridge belts likened them to um, you know bandoliers and made references about South American revolution. So it's Castro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, now we've got that one cleared up. We can move on. And, uh, and um, I, I think this is a fantastic idea. Really good idea. Um, I'm trying to think whether there are drives that I've shot that no longer exist now. <laughs> well, that, that, that's um, my only concern with this idea. I haven't got one that immediately springs to mind. <laughs> I, I can tell you about one. We used to have a drive here on the farm when I was a kid where we pushed birds from one side of the A34 to the other. Oh, yeah. And why yeah. does that no longer exist? <laughs> I'll give you two guesses. <laughs> I um, bet it was exhilarating, though. <laughs> well, I can only vaguely remember it, but I definitely remember that there was quite a lot of honking uh, from irate <laughs> lorry drivers. But actually, we don't own the bit of ground on the other side of the A34 anymore, so... Um, uh, that's one reason it no longer happens. I mean, you're straying right into Bartleby's ground there of sort of justifying shooting. <laughs> All you're doing is pissing off lorry, lorry drivers and the hit I mean, it, was a, it was a cracking drive. I do remember that. There was some serious pheasants coming out of that. I definitely think there'll be other people out here with out there with um with drives that no longer exist, either because you know the shoot might have shut down altogether and maybe we can open it out to, you know, the the shoots that are no longer running. Um very sadly, there's a an estate very near us in Cornwall that's unlikely to be shooting moving forwards due to sort of political um, issues amongst within the the family, and that that will be a great loss to many many people locally. Um, and I'm sure there'll be others who've got similar memories of places they used to shoot or grew up, learnt to shoot, grew up beating those sorts of things. Um, I really like it as an idea. Actually, I can't name I can't name a drive though. It reminded me, Diggers, you know, when we were looking in some of the sort of past data on Guns on Pegs the other day, and we were looking back to years gone by and the, and the number of shoots that have been on the website and then no longer on, no longer mm. running. And the number was way bigger than we ever thought. I forget what it was, but it was just huge. And a yeah. lot of these shoots are no longer in existence. The churn since I started working for Guns on Pegs of, um, you know, the the top most viewed shoots, I think is probably the best way of putting it on guns on pegs is 46%. So 46% of those shoots who back in 2017 were our, um, you know, uh, sort of most probably went out in the most newsletters, 46% of those are no longer shooting for various reasons or shooting in a much different way. So were shooting 
commercially and, and now we're shooting just with friends and family or um you know yeah lots of different reasons but the, the churn is enormous yeah it's mad considering the growth of shooting over that time as well it, um shooting sort of well up until maybe this year has only got bigger so to, to have lost all these places it's quite mad to think where it would have been yeah so there's a lot of drives on these shoots that we need to hear about is what you're saying <laughs> there's a lot of potential for people to take on uh shooting estates and make something of them again as well mm. where people have um sort of given up for other reasons well ideas please listeners we want to hear about these drives yeah so let's see what see what comes in um importantly angus and bartleby are now all members of the most noble order of the garters and will shortly be in receipt of their very own set of the highly exclusive guns on pegs podcast shooting sock garters if you have got a shooting confession quandary or query that you'd like us and our guests to help you with or if you've got an unpopular opinion or you'd like to tell us about a forgotten drive uh, and you would like a set of garters drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com and if you'd like to be in charge of sending garters out on time to our valuable guests then also drop us an email (laughs) 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 maybe That's not another um, uh, deadline we're setting ourselves, George, is it? No, we're not putting a deadline on that. That happens. (laughs) (laughs) Right, chaps. Um, We don't normally do serious stuff, I don't think, but I think this is a good opportunity, the dawn of a new era, to talk about where shooting is and where it's going and and what the the big issues are at the moment. And given that we've got Digby in his highly knowledgeable position, I think it's a good place to start. So maybe, Diggers, you can kind of give us a bit of an overview about the general feeling that out there among shoots and various other people that you're talking to at the minute? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, everybody's aware it's been really quite tough two, three years for shooting what with um, COVID and then bird flu last year. So, George, you said we're talking about the serious stuff now. I actually think there's a lot of um, things to be positive about. Um, This year, I was on the phone to a shoot just just before we started recording and we were saying we'd, we'd chat about one or two things that are a, a minor inconvenience when you compare it to where we were with bird flu this time last year. Um, what are we mid April? Um, barely anybody had any eggs in the, in, we were wondering whether there's going to be a season at all. Um, and, and this year we're talking about potentially an oversupply of pheasant poults and, and chicks and eggs. So in terms of how things are compared to last year, not even comparable. Um, shoots are you know overwhelmingly positive um certainly compared to last year and really putting on a, a, a brave face and wanting to make a, a good run of it this year to to get back on track um i think that's that's the over over overriding opinion that there, there are some concerns or some challenges um but i think we've got to put them into into perspective I, so for example um there is still bird flu looming over us to a certain degree um we can talk about that in a minute um there's the the cost of shooting um which has gone up quite considerably talk about that as well if you'd like to um but yeah generally speaking i think shoots are shoots are really positive we don't have a disaster like we have done every other april for the last two or three years i, I think i think bird flu is the um the best place to start because as you say um We've gone through a lot and we've now got this thing, which it kind of feels a bit like COVID, doesn't it? You know, where like you just sort of have to learn to live with it and we've got to adapt mm. and we've got to work out how we're going to we'll work going forward. Is, 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 that, is that what you're hearing? What, what do you reckon 
Yeah, shall I give shall I give the two um, sort of polar opposites? Yeah. There are some um, dippy downers who will uh, talk about the French situation and say that an outbreak in France could ca- sort of curtail all um, eggs coming into the UK and we'll have another season like last season. Um, and they they might say as well that uh, you know um, there's every chance that their shoot might catch. Bird or uh, get bird flu on the ground this year or on the rearing fields, meaning they're in real trouble for the season ahead. So that's if you wanted to be really depressed about it, you could say, well, not much has changed. Bird flu's endemic now. It's in the natural wild bird population. It's something we've got to learn to live with and it could really impact both the supply of French um, eggs and poults and the supply of, um, or, or, you know, uh, or, or sort of devastate a shoot at the, the time it matters right before they start shooting. That's the real negative sort of outlook. And on the other end, you got the, um, you know, the real sort of positive people who say, well, we, we've, um, we've got an oversupply of pheasants. We've got enough partridge in the country at the minute to supply everybody with their, their birds for the coming season. Um, and we're, um, you know, those shoots that are getting, or did get bird flu last year, still managed to finish their season. And actually only about 5% of shoots got affected by bird flu last year when, again, in September, we were looking at it, wondering whether any shoot would make it to the end of the season. So that you've got the sort of two polar opposites, some people being really quite sort of down about it. Um, and some people saying it's not a problem at all, um, will be absolutely fine. I think in reality, it's somewhere in between. And Chris, you said learn to live with it is probably the 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 helpful thing. I- um I think it's really interesting. I just wanted to, uh, I'm really casting my, whilst you've been talking, it's been helping me cast my mind back to this time last year because it was such a mad situation and most of the panic was just driven by unknown, right? It was, just, mm. we just didn't know where we stood. We didn't. Uncertainty, Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's horrible. Like being uncertain about something is just, it's painful because you can't do anything about it. Um, so I think at this time last year, the uncertainty was killing it. But when, we knew where we stood. The actual impact of bird flu on the ground, would you say, was not as great as anyone feared it might be? Would that be fair? A hundred percent. I remember having conversations with the shoot saying, we wonder whether anybody will make it through to the end of the season. Um, and speaking to one of the leading game bird vets, they said that they only saw bird flu on about, well, fewer than 5% of shoots. And only one of those shoots didn't make it through to the end of the season. It's mad. I mean, isn't that, it? that that is that is crazy. How we can, I think, quite rightly, work ourselves up into a frenzy and concern, and then we always manage to find a way through it. Well, especially coming off the back of the whole COVID thing, and you know, shoots were really struggling at the end of that as well. So you know, it's understandable why people might have got a bit uh, flustered about it. But I think it's it all sounds reasonably positive. I've got a, a very selfish question, diggers. Mm. You mentioned partridges. What's the what's the score on partridges? Because that was the big thing last year with bird flu, as far as what didn't happen. Yeah, we're we're still reliant predominantly on the international egg market for partridge. Um, I think we've said it on other podcasts, but partridge are harder to rear, or it's harder to lay partridge eggs in the UK than it is abroad. The good news is that to date we've got all the partridge we were supposed to have had from the international markets. Um, oh, wow. So so these, t- t- uh, to date, so there's probably still another few weeks of partridge eggs supposed to be coming into this country and you never know what could happen. But, you know, a couple of big game farms I speak to are having half a million partridge eggs in a week. Um, so, 
there, there are quite a number of there, there's quite a lot of parched around and the, and, um, and the big change from last year is that this time last year if there was an outbreak near a game farm in in europe or on the continent um they had a 90-day restriction after that point at which they can then move eggs uh and that's now reduced to 30 now if mm. we'd had that 30-day rule last year am i right in saying the panic would have been minimal versus what it was it it depends on the region. I think bird flu cases were still pretty high right the way through to the beginning of or, or the end of this current season. So I think as it turns out, yeah. we probably wouldn't have got many of the eggs that we could have got even if it was 30 okay. days. Yeah, because that 30-day clock doesn't start until the last case the last is case. cleared up and then they've done the deep clean and all that business. So, But I think you're right. I think the certainty thing is really important. We know that we've got the 30-day rule now, not the 90-day rule, so we know where we stand. Um, whereas last year we had the 90-day rule, but we're hoping for a 30-day rule. So there was always that glimmer of hope, which actually um, never transpired to happen last year. And you mentioned um, oversupply. I mean, that that seems like a word that just shouldn't even be banded around. How, how has this occurred? Yeah, so people, people have been so inventive and, and really quite um, positive about it. Partridge we rely on internationally for um, pheasant, eggs and chicks you can set up your own rearing flock and there are loads of shoots who've started doing that for the first time this year or shoots that normally would rear uh, um, have a have a laying flock that lays say 50,000 eggs and they've increased their laying flock so they can lay 75,000 eggs to sell 25,000 eggs so they spotted an opportunity and and um, try to take advantage of that or at least diversify so someone who normally gets all their eggs from france might have gone to hungary for some poland for some um, and set up their own laying flock to produce some and then gone to france for the last quarter so um what we've got this year is many many more partridge eggs than the the than the shooting world needs no sorry pheasant eggs than the shooting world needs so something that i've been talking about with a few people is even if we don't even if partridge egg supply stops today, right now, we've got so many pheasant eggs that the pheasants will be able to um, make up what we're lacking in partridge. And we saw last year that people didn't really, at the end of the day, mind whether they're shooting pheasants or partridge. Um, at least certainly that's what I saw on on, on the ground is that um, nobody complained saying, where are the partridge? This is far worse without the partridge. Except people are just happy. People are just happy to be out. It, it was about, Except I was about to say George's first question was a selfish one because he wants his partridge back. So <laughs> yeah, but George, you still enjoyed your day shooting. I shot. Oh, shot we had a one. Yeah, we, I mean, we had one of our best seasons ever. Yeah, um, well, there you go. So yeah, um, I think you're it, right. would, it would be nice to have partridge. But even if we don't get partridge, I think the big point is that we've got enough pheasant chicks, eggs, and poults to 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 make but up I, the difference. But as you say, we've already got a lot of partridge. So. Yeah, and Chris, you were chatting to you mentioned you chatted to one of the bigger game farms this morning who've who've had a um a bird flu outbreak nearby. Do you want to feel sort Yeah, of- well that was really interesting because I've I found this whole thing fascinating. If you go back twelve months, if someone had a, a bird flu outbreak nearby, you'd feel like that was curtains for that game farm and everything that existed around it and all the rest of it. But what it means now is and it's kind of like the development of COVID that we saw with ourselves. But what it means now is that that game farm can still operate. They've just got a bit more paperwork to do because everyone understands a little bit more about it. So I thought that the situation would be far worse. But that is that game farm is 
really close to the outbreak, you know, well within the three kilometers and, um, and they can still operate. So yeah, I've, I've sort of made me feel quite good about it. There's some common sense, you know, providing that strict biosecurity measures are in place. And, and they were saying, you know, and, and this was also that outbreak occurred during the housing order, which has now been lifted. Um, so an outbreak can, can occur through simply something underneath a fingernail getting into uh, a flock, which is mad, really, when you think about it. So when you turn up to shoots and they go, please put your wellies in this, they really mean it. They're not lying. <laughs> you know, one yeah. one little bit of mud inside your boot that then gets in the wrong place that's come from somewhere else that did have it can just cause devastation. So I think that was a really important message. I just didn't quite realize how viral it was mm. well maybe this is a good opportunity then diggers you've mentioned that you know it, it is still possible that shoots could be affected by bird flu um between now and the start of the season um i know that it's something that you talk to shoots about a fair bit which is the the subject of shit spreading risk um do you want to just say a few words on on that and where you think people are in terms of deposits and and that kind of thing advice to guns yeah, George, and you've been asked this question on the phone a few times by guns as well. I think I think the whole team have had a phone call or two asking what should I do about deposits um, and and uh, how should I spread the risk? Um, or if you're a gun, should I be paying a non-refundable deposit? All those sorts of things. We had so many questions that I, um, George and I sent out a survey to all of our shoots to work out what the actual answer, what, what is the consensus and in, in all honesty, there wasn't really a consensus. <laughs> and shoots are doing a whole range of things depending on their circumstances. Some shoots are, um, have deep enough pockets to uh, fund the whole season and take on all the rest themselves. Some shoots, um, you know, particularly keeper run shoots, have no um, fallback capital to, to be able to reimburse if, um, if bird food does affect them. Um, and some are saying, well, let's spread the risk. And I think that sounds like probably the fairest uh, fairest option. These these guys who are running there, who, who are buying birds now, they've already paid their deposits, their game farms. They're paying monumental feed bills. Um, they're paying their keepers' wages throughout the year. Um, it's a huge undertaking running a shoot for really no profit at all. Um, very, very, very few shoots manage to even scrape a profit let alone make lots of money like some people think think they do. Um, so it's a huge undertaking to not make much money. It's, it's, it only seems fair to, to share the risk um, between the gun and the shoot in some way, whether that's a 50% non-refundable deposit or a 50% deposit where half of that's non-refundable. Um, I'm not quite sure. I think it depends on, on the specific scenario of the shoot. There is no consensus, but um, I think the the... The thing that it's worth knowing is that shoots will do different things depending on on their scenarios. And if you have a conversation with them, I think it'll become pretty clear as to why that's uh, maybe a fair thing to do. I, I don't know, George. You've you've had conversations. I so have you got anything to add on? Well, no. I, I just think I think it's probably right. You know, we can, as guns, I think, run the risk of forgetting that shooting is a, a, a running a shoot doesn't stop in February um and that the costs are huge the the man hours required the inputs etc it all is significant even if it's a syndicate right you've got to be making decisions now so um 
you know about how many birds to get in and, and how you're going to feed them and all that stuff so i think you know we just have to remember as guns that there are uh jobs and livelihoods and all the rest of it on the line uh also that we can uh i, I suppose i should say also that we can acquire protein um <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what i mean so that we can all go out and enjoy what it is that we love and um I think it is beholden upon us to remember all the hard work that goes in and to try and support those shoots because if we don't, as we've already discussed in terms of the churn, they just won't be there. So if you if there's a drive that you love, if there's a you know, if there's a shoot that you love going to and you want it to be there next year or in five years' time, then you need to look at it from from a pragmatic perspective and, and take on some of the risk yourself, I think, probably. Yeah, and I also think it's worth reiterating what that um that vet vet said to me about last season. The worst ever bird flu season we've ever known um, in the UK. Only five or fewer than 5% of shoots were affected and only one shoot didn't make it through to the end of the season um, in one way or another. So the chances of, well, yes, I'll, I'll, yeah, I think that's probably enough yeah, said. Yeah. yeah, but it does lead us on to the next uh, issue and I don't want this all to be ne- uh, sort of negative or focusing on the negatives, I suppose, better way of putting it. But the cost is a bigger consideration as a result of, you know, obviously considering taking on that risk and then the cost that comes with it because they have risen, haven't they, Diggers? Yeah, and um, that that is the, if there's one thing that shoots or certainly the, the commercial shoots are talking about more this year, probably more than bird flu actually at the minute, um, it's to do with uh, appetite for shooting at this increased cost um, because costs have gone up. I think our census last year said they went up £11 a bird um just in terms of cost and, isn't it and they've gone up more this uh, year yeah and um george and i recorded a podcast the other day with jamie horner and he reckons they've gone up another three or four pounds a bird it's there, there are some scary numbers out there and uh and you know shooting has its ebbs and flows as far as supply and demand goes and i think this is going to be one of those years where supply slightly um outweighs demand by a little bit Again, I don't think it's anything massively to be worried about. I think we all know how excited people get um, come August, September. I'm certainly guilty of that, or I'm certainly one of those. You know, it's it's easy to concentrate on fishing or your summer holiday in uh, May, June, July, August. When the sun's shining. When the sun's shining. The second the shooting season starts, um, people realise how much they're missing out Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and want to get out there shooting again. But yeah, the co- I mean, the cost, it it is pretty crazy. I, I think something to say on that is, and I've heard this a little bit, is um, is uh, guns mention mentioning the fact that shoots are making loads of money out of them. And I really don't think that is the case. From the budgets Chris and I have looked at um, of shoots, there are very, very few shoots making any profit at all. My favourite game um, is find a shoot that makes a profit. I found one this year, <laughs> Diggers. Yeah? Yeah, one of the many 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 budgets i've looked at <laughs> i suppose you won't tell us who it is because otherwise everybody will boycott it <laughs> but also we ask a question in the in the census don't we you know what is the financial objective of your shoot and a tiny proportion of are even trying to make a, a profit you know so mm. most of them are just run to wash their face or to you know subsidize uh, a syndicate shooting or you know, there's very little mm. attempt to make money. I was talking to yes. I was talking to an estate the other day where it's one of these estates where let's say they do 20 days, but like 10 of them are for the landowner, right? 
and and it's sort of always been that way but it sort of carried on that way and the chap who sort of runs the estate on the ground was explaining to the landowner what the cost of his actual shooting was and he nearly fell off his chair because he, <laughs> he, he realized how much was going through and yeah the fact that basically even without him it'd be a break-even shoot so he's basically just paying full whack for the days on his own shoot um, <laughs> which when you really boil it down is very common um much to many yeah. people's surprise yeah <laughs> but i think the, the the point the point i was making there is that shoots aren't making profit they're not out to make money out of you for their own pocket they're doing it because they love it um and so i think a conversation with a shoot you'll very quickly realize that this increasing cost is not because they're trying to um, take every last penny off you they're just trying to survive so they can continue providing you the with the the shooting that you love and have a free day at the um, end of the season yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Okay, so chaps, we need to wrap up pretty soon, but um, there is one possibly slightly less positive thing that we should probably just touch on, which is uh, the shenanigans in Wales. Um, Chris, I think you probably know as much about this as anybody. Do you want to just give a very quick overview and then tell everybody what they should be doing? Yeah, funny old thing, this. This is just politics at its best or worst. Uh, So NRW, Natural Resources Wales, have essentially made this proposal on behalf of the Welsh government that they that they license the release of game birds now the proposal is essentially saying that uh these are the guidelines we would like to follow uh, uh which we would like shoots to adopt in order to um get a license to release game birds and the guidelines they're using are the GWCT's guidelines so your first thought is hmm odd nothing wrong there we agree with what the gwct say but the problem is this has been i said this is essentially a consultation after their decision has really been made it feels so we've really got to get up in arms about this because it's not that ultimately we don't believe that we should be very focused on the impact that what we do out on the ground has it's that if a Labour government who has been very open about the fact that they don't like the idea of game shooting and they and don't this is want the Welsh. To, yeah, well, the Welsh Labour government have been, they've been very open about the fact they don't like it. If we let, let them license, we can be fairly sure that they will abuse every power in the book to about how that license actually operates. So um, you will find things like, uh, I can imagine, and this is actually true of what's happened in Scotland with the grouse moor licensing, led, uh, obviously introduced by SMP, um, that antis could suddenly send a whole load of emails to say, oh, there's rumours of this bird crime here that we've found that this this bird of prey has been shot. And they'll probably use this, and, and this has definitely happened in Scotland, this sort of guilty till proven innocent approach, which is, well, let's investigate this and we'll withdraw your licence while we find out what actually happened. When it turns out the whole thing was not true. And that's the danger here. It's not a proper license. So, well, uh, and the other thing that I think is, it's obvious when you think about it, but not until you think about it, which is that in order to license something, you're essentially got to ban you it. Have to, yeah. You have to ban it first, and then make an exception. It's not the other way around. You don't have a de facto license. Exactly. It's kind of guilty till proven innocent in its concept. Yes. And it's the thin end of the wedge as well. Once they've got control of the license, yes, it's the GWCT's guidelines today, but what would it look like in two, three years' time? It's so much easier for the Labour government in Wales or Welsh Labour Party to change those 
um, rules once and tweak them to be less to make it harder for someone to run a shooting whale. Yeah. So, so what frustrates me here is that we shouldn't really be in this position. We we should, as a community, have known that this was going to come, and we should have embraced uh, some form of internal license. And the BGA, British Game Assurance, is the closest we've ever had to this, which is their standards, and we should have been following that. And but if we'd had something of any substance, we could have gone back to them and said, "Look, you don't need to do this. We've already got this in place. We kick out all the bad shoots. We look after the good ones, and so on." But we've not done that, and the reason we haven't done that, I think, is really our own fault i think there's egos arrogance all sorts of things at play that stop that happening and i'm i feel quite strongly about that um because we've tried enormously hard um but so we're in this situation now where having not done it it's essentially others saying well we're going to do it for you so i understand why that's happening but we've got to oppose it this the countryside alliance if you go on their website on the homepage, they've got this link where it basically pings out an email on your behalf, answering all the questions. It takes all the hard work out of it. Just go on the homepage, click the button, put in your name, go, and it's done. And we will bombard them with emails, and they will hate the fact they're getting loads of emails, and it will make them think, oh, this probably isn't something we should do. It's that simple. That's how this works. I've yeah. also, I just quickly, I've heard people saying, should I do that through Basque, Countryside Alliance? Don't care, any of them. Um, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Just, yeah. just do it. Yeah, it exactly. Does, it really does not matter. Just please send an email. Do it through them all. Yeah, I, I only mentioned the Countryside <laughs> Alliance one because it's the only one I've seen where it literally does it all for you. Uh, and yeah. they and, and NRW have said we're happy to accept email responses. So brilliant. You've opened it up to let's abuse that. So Yeah, I, and the other mm. thing is you might be thinking, well, I don't live in Wales and I don't shoot in Wales. Doesn't matter. Oh, because, God, yeah. Because it's, again, it's, you know, we, we've seen from all, you know, it, in all sorts of different ways things that happen in other parts of the UK leach into other bits of the UK. Um, and anybody with an interest in shooting should be thinking about what this means for the future of the thing that they'd love to go and do. Yeah. Um, so if you so, haven't done it yet, actually do it now. I think get your phone out. Yeah. yeah. Type pa- into pause the, the podcast and do it. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right, George. Um, you know, if we believe that we get the next government of in Westminster will be Labour led, then this is just their test bed. It will come in. Uh, and so we're we're in a real sticky situation if if this happens. But at the same time, I think it's also important to stand back from this and go, well, apart from the fact they just don't like us, why else is it that they want to do this? What is there another reason other than the fact that they just don't like us? And they might argue, well, they don't like the number of birds being shot, the number of birds on the ground or this, that and the other. So we need to look at all the reasons that put us in a position of weakness and what can we do to put them or make them stronger and i do think that in certain instances releasing and looking at conservation going back to the bartleby's comment earlier you know what can we do that makes us really proud of what what happens on the ground at shoots because if we can put it in a situation where we you take that shoot away and it genuinely detracts from economic environmental social uh then someone's got to fill that void and we know that with public finances the way they are, that's not a great situation for government to find themselves in paying to get, essentially get rid of shooting. Uh, so if we can get ourselves in that position, I think that is a very strong position to be. But it doesn't detract from the current threat, which we've really got to address. Absolutely. Right. So, uh, yes, if you haven't done it, pause the podcast, go and do it, and then you can come back and listen to Digby talking about his desert island shooting. <laughs> Digby, I don't know. I'm pretty sure you haven't done this before. Um, so, uh, let's imagine that the, 
the, the worst happens in Wales and then we get a Labour government at the next election and they think that's a jolly good idea and they decide they're going to kibosh shooting forevermore. Um, what are you going to go and do with your for your last hurrah, your last day out shooting logistics and uh, the laws of physics and all the rest of it are not a problem. Money's not a problem. What are you going to go and do? Um, great question. I'm, I, I think I've heard previous guests include fishing. Is that right? Yeah, it's uh, permitted. <laughs> now we're in danger of having all... No, do you remember Frank Bobby um, at the game fair when we said, what, what are you doing with Desert Island shooting? And he said, going fishing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, yeah. Um, I, I think I'd probably keep it very simple. There's a day that I will still remember as one of my happiest ever ever days i think um was on a sort of grouse moor in the lammermuirs um shooting a mixed bag with six or so friends um we shot a, a huge number of species um had a wonderful day picnic up on the hill um beautiful sunshine which i know people don't like when it when it for, for shooting but i just think it makes the countryside look all that more beautiful um, and so I'd rather a sunny day than a than a wet and windy one where the birds fly better any day, personally. So sunny day, um, six or so friends um, on a grouse moor shooting a species day. Um, picnic lunch on the hill, um, finishing with a duck flight in the evening and then uh, then probably plucking the birds um, on a sat on a on a step like we did that time. Really good fun. Drinking whiskey out the bottle. Great. <laughs> are you going to start the day off with a quick cast though okay well now if we're talking fishing then i've got um there's this great podcast called um called my kind of river um which is uh on taking a beat um taking a beat uh, i think it's four beats what four beats of rivers would make up your perfect river um and i think i'd do something like that to so have a river where you can fish for um for bonefish and tarpon in the in the bottom beat um in the morning then, uh, then after your first drive shooting grouse on the moor, you then uh, trot off to catch a salmon um, out of uh, um, uh, the lake on the River Conan. Then uh, shoot a walked-up snipe drive, followed by um, I don't know something something in uh, Collarford Lake wild, wild brown trout, yeah. something like that in a reservoir in Cornwall. Um, followed by a duck flight, and then finally nighttime sea trout on the fishing on the River Foy. Um, with a chance of a bass that has uh, has wandered further upstream than it thought it had, that would be my um, that'd be my desert island um, fishing and shooting trip. But it's you know that day uh, in the Lambias. I know everybody says it, it's really corny, but it was um, it was a friends friends I was with, and we often talk about it. Would love to relive that. Yeah, really nice, really nice. The good thing about the uh, addition to your trip is that you've called into action the guns on pegs chopper so george can be pilot for you and uh, take you around <laughs> all these places george you'd love to be pilot and uh, and whilst i'm shooting you could be fishing and whilst i'm fishing you could be shooting i think you should yeah, have him be- following around with a little notebook just making a tally of what you've shot <laughs> actually you know diggers mentioned the the my kind of river podcast and if you are an angler and i know that a lot of people who listen to this are I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, I'm slightly jealous because it is an idea that I suggested to Digby as a potential podcast format uh, a few months ago. And somebody's, it's obviously a good idea because somebody else has, has had the same idea and has run with it and they do it brilliantly. <laughs> it's a great podcast, about four episodes now already. Go and listen to that as well. Um, because I think that's your lot as far as this episode goes. Um, Diggers, thanks so much for becoming part of the Guns on Pegs podcast team. 
Thank you, George. Thank you, Chris. Very much enjoyed it and look forward to to doing a few more. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, good. Well, I think the, I just want to summarise. Although that was some fairly sticky topics and tough stuff, positive, I think, is the way to leave that. And we'll... Yeah. Um, We'll get back to having barrels of laughs in every next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've already got the next one lined up. We're recording it in a few days' time, and it's going to be a really interesting one. Um, So uh, stick around. Good. Um, So uh, before we go, um, we've already mentioned it slightly, but if you do like the sound of Digby's voice, not only will he be on future episodes of this, but he and I uh, also do the Shoot Hub podcast, which is for anybody who's got an interest in the running of a shoot, whether it's a commercial operation or a... Sit DIY syndicate, small farm shoot. There's something for everyone there. It's called the Shoot Hub Podcast. I am on it as well, so sorry about that. But uh, I highly, it's really, really interesting, um, and uh, you get a different perspective on on shooting um, for that compared to the one that you get here. Um, before we go, as usual, there's one final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of the very exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us your shooting dilemmas for us to resolve or by sending us your unpopular opinions or sharing your forgotten drives or letting us know where you've been listening from or sharing your shooting heroes with us and all the other things that we've said over the previous 50-odd episodes, just drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com and if we read it out in the next episode, we will eventually send you some garters. We will be back in a couple of weeks' time uh, with the episode that I've just trailed very cryptically. Until then, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. Yeah.